to the reluctant agilist. I've already screwed up the beginning of the podcast. This is special guest night. I am stuck on a problem I need help with. So I reached out to some friends at the Agile Uprising. Do you guys say, is it the Agile Uprising or just say Agile Uprising? Both are correct. Just Agile Uprising. Okay. Both are correct. Agile Uprising. So now I've screwed up the beginning of the podcast and shown that I don't know how to say the name of the the thing properly. Um, But... Uh, experts are here to help me with the problem. And the problem is something I keep running into in class where people come in and they say that they are asked to play the role of scrum master and product owner at the same time. And I have two reactions to that. One is to tell them not to do it. And the other is to tell them maybe they need to find a new job. And neither of those suggestions are very helpful. So I put a post up on the uprising, uh, Discord channel the other day. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, I'm not totally hip with Discord yet. Um, Asking for some help. And some people were very kind enough to volunteer. So uh, Andrew Left, Chris Merman, and Mike Cladell. Cadell, right? Yes, Cadell. I want to make sure I get everybody's name right. They have offered to help me try to figure this out or to help school me on how to solve this problem. So, gentlemen, thank you for taking time out of your night. Oh, this is a blast. Good to be here. Yeah, happy to do it. So um, I'm going to ask you each to introduce yourselves. And if you guys want to give a plug to the uprising as well, I think that might help people get a sense of the mission that you guys are on if they're not aware of it already. So um, going in alphabetical order, Andrew, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Dave. Andrew Leff, I am one of the, I guess, wow, I sound so fancy, board member of the uprising, Agile Uprising. I'm an enter- or I'm an agile coach, whether it's a team coach, enterprise coach, program coach, safe coach, whatever you want to call it. I'm just a coach. So uh, I'm super excited to talk about a topic that uh, probably doesn't get spoken about all that much. So <laughs> I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you kind of bringing this to the forefront because it, it touches on a lot of any patterns we see. So um, that's, I'll, I'll leave my introduction brief. Okay, cool. Thanks. And Chris? <laughs> Hi. I'm Chris Merman, otherwise known as Andrew Lepp's Tormentor, uh, also <laughs> on the board uh, at Agile Uprising. Um, I, my, my favorite thing that Andrew does is, is he says some things and then he immediately backpedals and quantifies them as to be like, I'm sorry, I'm not a big deal. Please don't think I'm a big deal. I'm, <laughs> I, like, I, I'm just here. I'm a person. Uh, I, you know, um, humility, or hashtag humility. Um, I, so I was, uh, Dave, you and I met before and I like you. And when you were like, do you want to talk about this topic? I said, I've done this before. And I know that there's other answers than just don't do it or, you know, quit your job. or quit your job. <laughs> yeah. I knew there were other answers since I've, I've had to look myself in the mirror and go, this sucks, but I'm doing it. Is anybody coming to take my cert away? No. Okay. Okay, now how do I do my job? So the scrum police didn't break down no, the door. No, 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 no. Strangely <laughs> enough, like it, like all these unwritten rules that they say never to break. Like we break them all the time, and nobody cares. Like just do it. Cool. All right, thank you. And Mike, Hi, Mike Cadell. Um, I'm a uh, uh, instigator and contributor in the Agile Uprising, and uh, really get a uh, quite a quite a kick out of. Uh, 
seeing uh, folks like uh, Chris and Andrew get uh, get spun up over stuff. <clears throat> um, kind of like the discussion about uh, football and stuff. Um, <clears throat> I've been in the Agile space for a good bit, and um, uh, I, my, my mission in at work is to um, help uh, people find ways to make work more enjoyable and, you know, just suck less a little bit because we spend so much time at work, so just try to get some more joy into into what we do every day. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so for those of you who are listening, if you're not familiar with Agile Uprising, um, I try to send all the people from my classes to the to the group. Um, it's where I go when I have questions about this stuff that I can't find answers to. So how how do you guys describe what the group is about and, and how do you sort of give sort of the vision statement or the mission statement of it? You go first, Left. Uh, it's a great question. Um, the way that I like to articulate it is, is how do we disrupt our own industry? And how do we get a collective group of minds to, to help us disrupt what we have been taught? And, and a plug out to you, Dave, you did my CSM. So I am grateful um, to be connecting again. <laughs> no, it was, it was one of the best trainings I had. And that's not just uh, blowing smoke up your you know what. So um, no, so I really look at it as how do we disrupt our own industry and how do we stay relevant, right? And how okay. do we continue to innovate and not just be stuck in a plateau of of this capital A agile offering that's the silver bullet strategy that doesn't ever work. Yeah. So yeah, five like I I mean it was probably close to five years ago, you know, a, a group of Jamokes in in Philly and North Jersey were like um, listen, and you? It, no, well, I wasn't a part of the group <laughs> at the time. Uh, they okay. pulled me in later when they needed some. Uh, they needed some emotional intelligence and and actual intelligence to be to be pulled in. Um, wow. So, the but the the funny thing is, is they were they like this group saw the sacred cows already like standing on wobbly legs long ago, and it's funny that we. Um, it's funny in the year of our Lord COVID-19 that we are seeing all of the things that we used to talk about at conferences and bars and meetups and whatever. We're like, what happens when this bubble bursts or what happens when this happens? What happens when that happens? Like this year brought all those things to fruition. And yeah. We're seeing all sorts of crap that we said would never happen, that we said would never be the case. And I like, I'm, and I don't necessarily think that this is a, I've, I've joked before on podcasts that this is a house of cards just waiting to fall. I don't necessarily think it's that strong. I will say that there are some things that we always thought was true that we haven't been able to prove. And now we're seeing maybe necessarily aren't. And so we're just willing to have that. Oh, that's a great, yeah. Great segue. Yeah. So it. we're just, we're just willing to have the conversation openly and, you know, maybe add a few swear words and be a little real <laughs> and raw and it's a safe place. So, you know, yeah, there you go. All right. Thank you. Um, so the question is, can you be a scrum master slash product owner at the same time? And if so, how, and what I was really hoping for is any, Anything other than my answers, because I tried something where I tried to do that, and it was a total screaming disaster. And at the end of it, I was like, I'm never, ever going to take a job where I'm asked to do this again, because I suck at everything I try to do. So people are in that situation. They don't have the opportunity to not be in that situation right now. Um, 
I'm curious to hear like what what you guys have each gone through in terms of being in that situation and what you might have done to try to cope with it or make it work. And Mike, why don't you go first? Yeah, make him go. Sure, there you go. <laughs> Mix it up a little bit. <laughs> All right, just need uh, some fodder for Chris to jump in on. Um, <laughs> sure. So uh, about is it six, seven years ago now, uh, I was. Um, working for a really small company, we were venture funded. Uh, long story short, um, the CEO of the company also owned the offshore development firm that was building the firm's entire product suite, and um, they had a falling out. So I was hired to be a development manager, be an agile coach, be a scrum master, be a product owner, and rebuild a company. It was awesome. I had a blast. Um, <laughs> But um, so I was wearing a number of hats. Product owner and scrum master were were two of them and two of the larger ones that I wore. Um, And I did that for the better part of three years. It was a smaller environment, which made it more manageable. So kind of one practical tip is in a large organization, it's harder than it is in a small organization, in a small company where every month you got to, you know, your, your backers are looking at you to say, should we keep writing checks so you can make payroll? You know, you, you kind of do some different things. But, um, uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, I did it for, for three years, and um, I, I had an absolute blast. I worked my tail off, and I put a lot, both of my time and my passion and emotion into it, and we made a product that was fantastic. It saved people's lives, literally. So, so I, I, I had the motivation to do it. Um, doing this on a nine to five, you know, this is the, the grind that I got to go to makes it it's harder. So another tip would be if you're passionate about it, it's a little easier. Um, so um, that's what we did. And we, we kind of uh, morphed between scrum and, and more flow-based uh, styles of work time so i um, kind of worked in a really um uh, fluid situation so that's kind of where what the experience i had um doing both roles so um, can i ask a question about it um sure yeah one of the ways that i always talk about this in class is that being scrum master and product owner at the same time is kind of like an alcoholic opening a bar because the product owner is like, we have to do all this stuff. And the scrum master is like, but let's not take on too much. But we're going to lose the client. But we have to work at a sustainable pace and work on our communication skills. Like you can't be good cop and bad cop at the same time. So how did you manage that like internally within your own head? Uh, a couple of different ways. One way was I was also the development manager. And it was up to me to make sure we had a product that didn't kill people and that would keep the company alive and running. So there was some very um, uh, clear motivation there. The other other way that I found to balance them was um, to understand, I've developed the belief that those two are not necessarily in conflict. So you've got that overarching concern of keeping people alive and that's what causes you to find the safe balance. Well, not just alive. That's the driver for that. So it's not just Mike keeping people alive, right? It's literally, so what I feel like in Mike's story is there is a 
Um, there is a, a company well-being, right? There's a there's a company well-being, and also, well, I'm, I, based on my experience, there's probably a lack of people that can take up those other men. Like, I'm, I'm betting you money, like, like, true or false, Mike, you would have happily, happily handed over any of those hats to someone else if they could have picked up the reins, but there really wasn't anybody at the time that could do it, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yes. And so to, to just put a, a bit of a punctuation mark on that, that thought, um, the conflict that you articulated, Dave, um, that doesn't have to be a conflict. Those are two um, kind of uh, balancing uh, considerations okay. that in my experience in well-functioning uh, agile teams, uh, the product owner role and the scrum master role uh, have a, a relationship where they can uh, strike a healthy balance between the two considerations. It's, it's like any relationship. If it's, okay. if it's out of two, yeah. two parts tilted one way or the other, it doesn't work for everybody. So together we have the same goal, then we can find the right balance. The only trick was I had to, you know, kind of talk to myself and argue with myself. The good thing was I never lost. <laughs> I was always there, so. All right, cool. Thank you. I'm going to, I have a follow-up question, but I want to save it for a little bit before I ask it in case it sure. comes up on its own. Um, thank you. Um, so Andrew, what about you? You challenged like everyone else when they're looking for the mute button. Um, <laughs> I definitely have a visceral reaction to when you have to do multiple roles, much like you said, Dave, you know, don't do it. Um, bad idea, mistake, all the things, all the bad things that can happen. But unfortunately, I've had to step into that role and accommodate both both those roles in, in one instance and to add another layer of complexity coming in as a contractor. So really the trifecta, right? Like you really have a struggle making your product uh, contractor, your product owner, and then add the, the scrum master complexity into it. So priorities are coming from three <laughs> different directions that are all in opposition. To right. And, and does a contractor have the company's best interest from an economic point of view? And are they really equipped to prioritize? So there's a whole layer of complexity there that just, complicates the issue. So for yeah. me, when I was when I was in this situation, it, it didn't work out all that great. Um, I tried to wear both hats. And just like you said, playing good cop and bad cop, it's really hard to hold the team accountable. But it's even harder to hold yourself accountable. So you start arguing with yourself. So it, are you able to deliver the value based upon the voice of the customer and hold the team accountable when they're holding you accountable by wearing multiple hats? So for me, I really struggled. I mean, it was a it it didn't end well. And one of the ways I kind of it was a workaround for me was I started to ask the team member to rotate every sprint to be the scrum master. So And did that work? I'm really curious about whether or not you felt that it, worked. I think it 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 was helpful. Did it work? If we define success as a pure scrum master, are they truly, you know, embodying the the values and servant leadership as a scrum master, pr probably not, right? They were learning the role. There wasn't deep scrum roots. They were, were fairly new team, fairly new to working in a scrum way. So, or in this, in the framework. So I had to give a little bit of latitude, right? So there was a lot of education. I also had a coach. So it was just, 
messy, but I do believe it created more empathy across what a scrum master is and what a scrum master isn't and what a product product owner is and what a product owner isn't. So I think it accelerated some of the learning. Um, they still didn't do it well. So at the end of the day, there was improvement in around understanding the role, but I don't know if they were honoring the role and acting in that role very well. Yeah. So you said holding the team accountable, and I'm wondering if, like, I, I guess I would say that the Scrum Master's job is to teach the team to support each other and, and keep themselves accountable. But if I'm thinking from the product owner mindset, yeah, those bastards said they were going to give me stuff. Where the hell is it? <laughs> yes. So I, when I say to hold the team account, like, yes, yes and, and. Um, <laughs> holding the team account, but... Uh, on my podcast, you can go, yeah, but no. <laughs> That's my version of yes. Yeah, and. so I, it's all those things. It's all those things. And I, I was just saying hold the team accountable because I believe there's a bit of a ramp up that the team has to understand what accountability looks like. So if they want to build respect, okay. a, a directional, bi-directional respect, it has to work both ways. So okay, if I unfold that a little bit. All right, cool. All right. Um, and Chris, what's your story? So I have several. I'll give the elevator pitch of both of them, um, or all of them. So I, my very first Scrum Master role was in like a startup, right? There were less than 10 of us in the company trying to get something going. I was hired to kind of run the team, be the Scrum Master. I'd never been a Scrum Master before. And it was great because I got to kind of get my Scrum Master chops down. But then the product owner um, left the company and I kind of had to pick up the mantle of both handling the backlog and the scrum master role. Um, and so what I would say is that there, and then there's other times where I worked at a, uh, a digital agency that kind of used the agency model Ooh, to build. That just makes it 10 times worse right there. Well, I will say that the agency model kind of forces the hand yeah. because when you have a client that you're serving, right? So, for example, um, I worked for one of the largest mobile app, third-party mobile app developers in the world, right? And they had, you know, 20 teams at any point in time running around building apps for clients kind of a thing. And the client is the real product owner and they called them project managers, but you were really a scrum master. You, you function as a scrum master and a PO proxy, right? And okay. so um, they don't do the mechanics of writing the backlog, but they kind of give you the ideas and you kind of talk about things. And then so as I'm doing like scrum, you know, as I'm doing like planning events at a sprint basis, I'm saying, here's what we're planning on building. And they're like, yep, you're, you're right on the money. Or so there's, like what what I identify with what Mike was saying is that there's this um, need of the moment where there's there's outside stakeholders. That the third time I did it, I was hired as a product manager, um, but they didn't hire scrum masters, and so I saw myself as I needed to go out and did do the research, do the ideas, do the do the you know scavenging, the continuous exploration, so to speak, not to to pull a safe term. And then also I ran stand-ups kind of a thing. And so the scrum ceremonies kind of were an afterthought to doing the exploration piece. 
So I, I'm I'm going to be the I'm probably going to be the naysayer on this thing. I think it can be done in the right situation. I think it it's it's possible to be super successful in this. It's just a matter of how does that like what's the most important thing, right? Like if someone are is are you the person that cares more about the the facilitation, the scrum events, this yeah, the success yeah. of the the what you know or the 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 how you're going to do stuff. And then kind of people just kind of feed you stuff and then you filter it and pull it into the backlog and maybe do some things. Or do I care more about what the customer is looking for? And then I'll also do some facilitation on the sides. I think if you can make those, um, I'll throw this like salvo out there. Like if you can find which of those things is more important, you can do both roles. If you're expected to be super at everything, you might have a challenge, but also depends on the size of the company, size of the team, what's the product, what's the, okay. you know, there's so many things that factor into it. So, so to be able to do it, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to give up aspects of each role or things we would normally I, consider to be the responsibility of each role. I think that that's used a lot in the industry today. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Uh, um, I, I was going to say, uh, just listening to the three different descriptions and uh, Dave's, uh, comment there. What strikes me is that um, the degree of difficulty and the possibility of combining both roles is very, very much dependent on the environment and the individual. So if and how I, many teams? You know, well, um, among other things, yeah. you know, on a, on a um, you know, dead still day, you know, um, I might be able to, you know, hit it, you know, shoot an arrow and, and hit a target, you know, 300 yards away down on. But if there's the least little bit of wind, you know, my arrow is going to be way off the mark. Yeah. It, it feels like it's that same kind of a problem. I don't know if it's that difficult though. I mean, we're making you know, it you seem like you got to shoot a bow and arrow. I suck. I, yeah, but like, <laughs> but I, we're not trying to shoot arrows here. We're trying to, you know, make sure that we give our best to the team kind of thing. Sorry, it's, Dave, you know, were about to say something. And I'm going to be the interrupting cow for a minute. I, I think that, Moo, so I think that, yes, it, it depends on a lot of factors, but I, I think the overall message, which keeps emerging for me as, as we're talking through this is, do we want to institutionalize this as a pattern that is okay to move forward within the organization, that it's okay not to have this role separate and have the right people in it? Or is it just a temporary workaround until the organization understands the, what their threshold of pain is when you have this person serving both roles? See, I feel like it's, it's not something that I would want to ever say is permanently okay, but I feel like the only way companies learn it's not okay or that it's not a good idea is to do it. It's like when you're, you know, whatever age you start to consume alcohol, you realize at some point that was too much. And you only learn that by hitting that mark. I'm um, sensing a theme what with the alcohol. You, yeah, well, it's what, the drunken PM is the podcast. So there you go. Like, um, at what point in time am I supposed to learn this lesson? Well, maybe you I'm, don't have to, though. I mean, maybe you can, maybe there's ways to not have to. I, the, the thing that I wanted to ask about, which is maybe more theoretical, is... I view the relationship between the PO and the Scrum Master as there being a little bit of friction there. And that's part of what makes the punk rock happen within the team is there should be this check and balance pushing back and forth. And so, Mike, you were able to resolve that internally. But do you guys feel that that, I mean, am I just 
misreading that? Do you think that that's necessary? Should there be this this thing where we can bang I, up against each other knowing somebody's going to push back? Yeah, I think there should be friction, but well, I look at that friction as trust. So I think between the okay. PO and the scrum master, there has to be a lot of trust so you can have friction and and know that at the end of the day, we can walk away in disagreement, but I'm not going to hold a grudge, right? I'm going to yeah. air my grievances and we're going to move forward because we have the team's best interest as a team member in mind. So I think that friction, I think that's a great point. And, and having that trust, that strong bond and respect really helps be able to, to ventilate through that friction in, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But the best way to be the best way to have trust between the PO and the scrum master, be the same person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I trust myself better than any of you punks. Um, the way I, uh, the way I think about it, uh, the, the dynamic Andrew described there is, um, is healthy tension. Yeah. There, there's gotta be, there, there is, uh, competing forces that, it, um, interact, that act on the team. So having a healthy tension and just a, a plus 1000 to what, what Andrew said, um, trust agile doesn't work without trust and it's, magnified when you're in a quasi leadership role within an agile environment. So I think of the scrum master and the product owner, and if there's a role that's kind of like a functional or technical leader type, that's kind of like the triad that um, really leads the team. And uh, if those people don't work well with each other, you're, you're you got one hand tied behind your back. So um, I'm wondering with, I'm kind of riffing on what Chris just said and going off what you had said, Mike, if, if you can do this, like part of what makes me feel safe and trusting somebody else is I know somebody's going to check me on stuff. Like somebody, nobody's going to let me get away with things. Um, maybe that's the function of growing up in Philadelphia where people are so quick to chop at your legs, but I expect I need people to take me out once in a while and smack me upside the head. And if I don't have that, I'm afraid that I'm just going to go like hog wild and do whatever I want to do because I'm the king. Yeah. Uh, I would say I was a cop to, I did that at one point in this three-year <laughs> tenure. And I put our company and, and my team and our patients potentially in a bit of a dicey spot. And okay. I had to be a man fess up and say, you know, guys, I goofed. I went a little too far one direction. We need to, you know, um, stand down from putting out new crap and fix what we've already got so that we can go faster down the road. So it's, if you're doing this, try trying to do both. Um, don't expect to be perfect unless you're Chris Merman, then you're, you're always perfect, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you forgive yourself. You will um make calls it in hindsight you think you wish you didn't we're human beings we're fallible i think that forgiving yeah, yourself is probably a big part of doing, being able to do this job he's trolling he's trolling me on discord all and while he's trolling me on this podcast recording like mike's <laughs> mike's out doing himself all right so dave all right i'm gonna turn the tables i have a question for you yeah so we talk about right so we talked about this balance right yeah there in i think you know, if I it's been a, it's been a bit since I've been in Mike Cohn's class, but if I remember right, the the push and pull between Scrum Master and PO is right, like value versus delivery excellence. 
balance, right? And sometimes those two need to to push, you know, or kind of like batter, you know, or, you know, ram heads, so to speak, right? And in large organizations, those two bodies are represented by different types of leadership. I mean, the bigger the company, the more bosses that, that people have to please. And that's yeah. why product ownerships become like just a series of order taking, um, which is, we don't have to get into that's a, that's a topic. <laughs> totally for separate podcast, totally separate <laughs> podcast. And I could spend, I could spend an entire series talking about that horse shit. But the, what I will say is that, so Dave, how, like, do you feel like the pull between like product or value excellence and delivery excellence, do you feel like they're really opposed? Like how strong is that pull? I don't, I guess I think of it in a, in a similar but slightly different way. I look at the product owner is their primary concern is the product we're going to deliver to the customer. And the scrum master's primary concern is the care and feeding of the people on the development team or on the scrum team, I should say. So um, I if think you don't care to feed for this people on the team, you can't consistently right. deliver a good product. So, so all these things the have to work together. They should be complementary, but I think part of the way they are complementary is in the same way that sometimes a drummer wants to be playing out in front and sometimes a guitar player wants to play out front. If they're not banging into each other, you're not going to get the best sound out of them. And so to, and maybe that's just me. I just, I depend on that a little bit. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should be Mike's healthier, emotionally person, more emotionally healthy person than I am, I think. But um, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, <laughs> so I. <laughs> the, I guess what I would say is that, you know, if, if you're having to take on this role of combined, like whether, yeah. whether, P, whether Scrum Master PO are separate or they're combined. And honestly, like in the work that Andrew and I do in the consulting world, like a lot of times with clients that we work with, we're dealing with this, like, you know, this, I, I know everybody cover your ears, but PO proxies, right. Where, you know, business can't staff POs or, or PMs kind of a thing. And so, IT kind of fills the role and so they kind of form more external business owners or whatever you want to call that person, right? Which again, another another podcast for another day, but it's all related because, you know, depending on how close you are to the business, like if you're three levels removed from the user, from the person like actually putting stuff in front of clients, getting feedback, like how crucial is it that you do both things? Um, I'm not saying I, I, I'm, I'm legit not saying this is the right way or one way is better than the other. I'm just saying that there's a lot of situations where, you know, you know, you, you've got, you've got a, a user group that does all the testing for you. And maybe like a, you know, a couple of super users will get invited to demos, whatever you call the demos, reviews, whatever. And then, but then there's a whole other group of people that are giving feedback and they might be submitting tickets and then, um, and you have to weigh all that. And how do I decide which that whole thing? Yeah. So that decision is getting made three levels above you, so to speak. Like if, you know, that scenario, like what, what does it really matter? Like we're, we're just looking for how do we help our teams be the most successful they can be. Okay. So that's exactly where I was going to go. I was PO proxy scrum master, BA project manager all at once. There you and go. I did horrible project management work, zero BA work, 
And I ended up being more of a scrum master than anything else because that was the only set of problems I could really address. It was a consulting gig. So I couldn't really be a product owner for the client because I couldn't get anybody's time, not enough time anyway. So I just fell into, these are the things I can fix. I can fix the team. And so I tried to do it all, but I could only end up really doing one of those jobs. That's a great point. And I I think it also raises... (laughs) running into this wall a lot is, you know, the 20% allocated to the role. I'm 20% allocated to be the product owner. So that means I have 80% allocation to be the scrum master. So that makes me 100% dedicated. So it, it drives me crazy as, as, as I encounter this. And, and uh, it's just so that type of thinking lends itself to being able to be multiple things in a team. So having that mentality that you should only be 20% allocated to the product owner responsibility or the role. And the rest of the time you can play scrum master. Oh, and you have 15 other jobs too, but those are your priorities right now. I think also promotes the fact that you can entertain this way of thinking, which again, degrades the ability to maybe effectively do the role, or maybe it doesn't, maybe you can really be a rock star and do it. I, I haven't seen a lot of success when people wear this hat as opposed to, you know, the greatness that Chris Merman brings. I mean, not everyone can be a Chris Merman. So, but Chris, even you have to have a lot of cognitive dissonance going on when you're dealing with the stuff Andrew's talking about. I mean, deciding which hat you're going to wear at which moment. I mean, doesn't that wear you out a little bit? Um, so I don't ever like a sociopath. You just don't even, (laughs) Don't well, care. I am a sociopath, and, and that's but that's a, that's another again another podcast. Like we're just identifying a series of podcasts just to do in succession. Um, I will say that. Um, how else do I say this? I think a lot of people don't really know what good looks like. So I'm I am willing to admit that when I was a scrum master, when I was a product owner, when I was a whatever. Right now, now I'm in the position where I tell those people doing those things, here's what you should do kind of a thing. I am totally willing to admit that when I was in all of those situations, doing those things, I was in a bad situation, a bad company, and, and I was really, 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 really bad at it. Right. Like I even, I even had a, a friend of mine who did, who did coaching come, uh, come sit in on like she had a day off and she goes, Hey, I've got the day off. Can I come shadow you? And I was like, no, cause you're going to point out all the things I'm doing wrong. She's like, not if you're not doing anything wrong. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Now we're going to like, <laughs> now we're challenging my manhood, whatever. And she, you know, what's funny. We talk about the whole, how many teams that you like, I had, I think I had two or three different teams at the time, kind of a thing. Oh and my God. She watched me do a stand-up, and she goes, that was a great job, project manager. You did more talking than they did. And I was like, well, that's not every stand-up that I do that. And she goes, is it? And I said, okay. So maybe that, you know, maybe I was in a stretch where I did more talking than the rest. Like, if you are, again, depending on the model, depending on how teams are built, depending on how projects or products are built, kind of a thing like there's a whole like a lot of machinations behind the scenes yeah that can affect this right so i don't know that i necessarily 
Um, if anybody who wants to hire me in the future is listening, I am an expert in all this and you should trust my opinion no matter what. Um, but hire somebody to come and watch him and tell him what he's doing wrong. Well, for those playing the home game, like who really knows what a hundred percent, what good looks like. We know, we know what like the superstar, you know, CSTs tell us in the room. Right. Like, uh, like Dave, like, Hey, this is what good looks like. But we know what good enough looks like. Good enough. Yeah. So really who knows, like if they say, you know, if we're really supposed to care about this, like, why does it even matter? Like, what does this team need to be successful? And if it needs two people, great. But I don't think it always needs two people to lead a team and be great. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. If I can um, tag off of that, um, what, what good looks like or great looks like, I think is very uh, situational you know, along the same lines as the, you know, the term agile best practice is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. So because it works, you know, a certain setup works in one context may not may or may not work in the other context. Now, if you're getting too far afield, you may be doing something other than scrum. And, you know, if that's what you need at that organization at that moment cool, just don't call it scrum and don't delude yourself. Um, but the, the, the real, um, I think the real nut of it is to do both roles, you, you have to um, have kind of a clear plate. Trying to do two roles for three teams, you're probably a caretaker at best. Would be my or guess. huffing glue in the car before work every day. You, you can't service don't put that down dave (laughs) yeah and the the other thing is i mean you got to be clear be clear on what um what hat you're wearing at that time um and um something you you were kind of alluding to chris is uh it's it's easy to get in your own head to get confused on which role you're playing at which time so i found when i was in my own head when i was clear on which stance I was in at that moment. Was I in the product owner stance or was I in the scrum master stance or the development manager stance? Um, then I was able to use words that helped me be more clear with my people. Absolutely. You're like, you're the, to be clear, the best backlogs I've ever created were when I was a solely dedicated product manager, business analyst, like whatever you want to call it, right? Like, I mean, a backlog that I would truly be happy for, like that I would say is the most refined, that, you know, I created the best best acceptance criteria, definition of done was followed. We did, you know, we did demos oftentimes throughout the iteration kind of a thing. All the things that they say in all the classes, right? All the best practices. Yeah, 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 all the things. Like I was awesome at those things when I was able to be dedicated. And the best, the best, uh, the best, you know, scrum events and uh, and and team facilitation and impediment removal was when I was able to focus on. Like I've been able to do all of these things. I just don't think it's one or the other. Either you do this and you're good, or you don't do this and you suck. I think you can. If, if they, you know, Mike's right in that you can't give you, your backlogs are high level at best. When I was in the, when I was in startup mode or in the agency model and we hired like the best people and these were well-paid full stack devs, 
right? It was in the mobile space that I was in this kind of agency model, startup model kind of a thing. I spent a lot of years building mobile apps. In the mobile world, you can say, hey, I need a thing that does this. And you don't spend like, you know, hours and hours refining that thing. And they just go, yeah, I'll build this and it'll be ready to show the client this afternoon kind of a thing. Because it's small and micro and, you know, just give me a slice of the button that I can put here and do this. So I didn't have to focus like really hardcore on those kinds of things. But the times where I needed to like explain like our microservice strategy, yeah, I kind of needed to be full time, you know? Okay. So the scale Again, Chris, the if you take that and too. compare that to some of the environments that I imagine you find yourself in today, where there are very large, um, you know, uh, interdependent, um, complex relationships, complex architectures, I would venture that it would be more challenging in that kind of environment. I mean, sure, but then you then you get into like. You know, there, there's the there's enterprise architecture, which is several levels removed from the team level, so, you know, you know, enterprise business strategy to those things. I'm like this, you know, like left. Tell me like tell me about like when we like when we get this enterprise level strategy at the business and technical side, like by the time they filter down the teams, the teams are like, huh, what do I do? Where's my backlog? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would say that this model, not that any models um, you know, scales in a certain way, but I would not say that this would be a scalable way to work in my opinion. Right. So I think, you, you know, you, you could agree. Yeah. Agreed. So I, I would, I would be hesitant to, again, I, I think as a, as a coach and just doing this for so long, I have a visceral reaction to, to the, the, even the ask around, is this acceptable? Is this right? Or is this wrong? And maybe that's a coaching behavior I need to, to change because, Maybe I need to understand why they want to do that before I react. But I think it's it's also hard to watch that learning when you know you, the, the train is going to crash into the side of the mountain. Wouldn't you have the same reaction if somebody said, okay, I want you to swim, you know, 100 meters in 30 seconds. Here's some concrete flippers. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> is, it, is it, are we setting people up to fail that poorly? Well, that, I mean, it, but isn't, I mean, maybe maybe they don't understand the, how it's going to impact folks. Maybe they're trying to just save money. Maybe it's the best they can do at that point in time. But I mean, don't we all agree that that is creating risk that it's creating risk? Yes. I, There's a model that we know works and this is yeah, not that. And I would say that, it, and that's not being prescriptive either, right? That's, that's just being data driven. That's the, the data supports that statement. So 100%. I think I think Dave the 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 basic premise of this whole conversation has been one team, like one scenario, right? One scrum master, one PO, can they do the role together? Kind of a thing. I think that we really truly think that, like, I, I think that we've seen it work enough to know, like, this is not a dumb idea. Like, we're not talking about a dumb. I'm not. I'm not poo pooing a ridiculous idea it is a good idea to do this. I think the challenge is, and it's all in your frame of reference. Like I'm, I'm, I'm almost pushed in front of companies these days that don't allow for one team, one scrum master, one PO, one, one 
you know, full stack or cross-functional team and here's a backlog and go do your thing. If that was the situation, I'd never like, I'd be out of a job. Cause I'd be like, um, I'm going to spend a week and a half, two weeks with y'all, maybe four weeks total. All right, y'all are good. I'm, uh, I'm out of here. Right. Like give me the next team kind of a thing, but it's just the, I hate to use the word scalable, like Lef said earlier, like I do use the word scaling or scalable, like, but it's just, unfortunately, companies just don't work that way anymore. You know what I mean? Well, and if you could be that prescriptive, you wouldn't even have to go in to do an assessment. You could just call somebody on the phone, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this? Okay, fix these things and you'll be fine. Send me a check. Yeah. It'd be a lot easier, especially during COVID. You could just do it all from home. So Dave, when you, when you talk, in class all yeah. right let's take this back to because again this started with the in started the classroom class. yeah and, and where i want to get to in a minute is i want to see if you guys have some kind of final words of advice for folks but go ahead. yeah so when you when you're in the classroom setting what do they do they well when they describe what work they're coming in are they describing a scenario that's vastly different than what we're describing is it similar it's totally yeah i mean and i always i always say to them like look this is there's only like one thing in the whole class that i say like if you're not doing this it's just not gonna work um this is one of those things where i describe it as it's like putting the wrong kind of gas in your car like you can do it it's not going to work the way you want it to. It's not going to deliver on the promise of Jeff Sutherland's book titles and things like that. But if that's what you have, that's what you have and deal with it as best you can. And that's sort of what led me to this conversation was people have this. It's, it's, it's normal. It's not good, but it's normal. I just want to have something constructive that I can say to them to say like, okay, look, this is going to suck a little bit, but here's some things that might make it suck less. I get it. So I get it. Kind of minimize the damage. And I do think like what you were saying earlier about some of these gigs, I think that there's a lot of value in gigs like this because when I had the situation I had, that taught me volumes about how I needed to be, what I needed to do to be successful in the work that I do and what kind of things were things that to me were like, you know, garlic to a vampire. Like I'm not going near that again. Or like Andrew, you said that you kind of recoil from this kind of stuff. Um, we've all learned the most from the worst situations we've been put in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's value in that too. Absolutely. Um, so to end it on this more positive note, <laughs> do you guys have any kind of final tips or words of encouragement for people that are in this situation that don't have an opportunity to change it right now? So I'll jump in since I kick, I started, I'll, I'll end with my final thought on this. And, and again, for me, I, I, if you have to accommodate this, I would probably say that a ma- more mature team that has had more interaction and, and has been operating as a team a little bit longer might lend itself to experimenting around this idea and, and be able to pivot a little bit easier than a team that's completely green and trying to accomplish too much from and ex- setting way high expectations of, of a single individual, let alone from a team um, team uh a view of a team as well so sorry it's been a long day um so i think that that would be my like i would avoid doing this practice but if you had to go about it i would say that some of the rules of engagement would be do it with a much more mature team and see if it 
and compare notes. Like maybe take a less mature team, okay. then take a more mature team and see which lends itself better. But I would abandon this strategy if at all possible. It's just, to me, it's not sustainable. Okay, cool. Mike, ahead, I guess Mike. you should go next because I know Chris <laughs> is going to want to have the last word here. <laughs> yeah. um, I say um, we we have the as uh, Andrew pointed out earlier we we have a pretty solid data that suggests this is not a good idea. But if you have to, um, just uh, remember we're we're all human beings in this. Um, give yourself a little bit of a break. But uh, and at the same time, don't fool yourself and think, oh, yeah, I got this. This is easy. I've done it. It's hard. Um, and, um, you know, try things. Try, you know, try to make the case for another person or try something different with your team. Think differently. You know, try, try not to just follow the rote prescription. And um, you may be surprised at what you learn by experimentation. What's the worst that can that can happen is oh well that sprint didn't work out we'll do it different the next. So I would like to offer one before Chris goes because I want to honor his need to be last. Um, <laughs> I think if you're in this situation, you should be open with the team about it and open with the discomfort of it, and maybe collectively you can solve or find ways to cope with this problem. I think that to try to take on all this all on your shoulders by yourself is probably not going to work out that great. And maybe the team can help you with it. At least they'll learn why it might not be a great idea. Lisa Atkins always says, take it to the team. Wow. Way to quote Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) My my friend Andrew left says, shut up, Mike. (laughs) Um, So, I will say that this is a a reminder of something that was said earlier, I think partially by Mike. Uh, Funny how you all think I needed to like bloviate more. Um, But I will say that uh, taking it to the team is one thing, but oftentimes the team doesn't know what they're signing up for when you're asking them to be okay with this. I think honestly, the real, the real pool is with leadership. So when leaders say, hey, we need you to run the team and the backlog, or we need you to remove impediments, facilitate, whatever, do the scrum master and the PO role. I think, honestly, the conversation with leadership needs to be, okay, here's the trade-offs that we're going to have to happen, right? Like, we're going to have to either spend more time in refinement, right? Because my backlogs are not going to be just, like, super potent. Um, I can't spend time with, you know, tech leads, you know, truly refining this work so that you can pick up a, you know, a card and just roll with it kind of a thing. It may be, um, and maybe my backlogs are great, but I, I'm, I'm not going to really have a lot of time for impediment removal. So I need to be able to elevate stuff to, you know, someone at the program or enterprise level to kind of do those things. I think that if you put, throw the cards on the table and say, this is what's going to happen, and they say, well, here's how we're going to do that. And here's how we're going to manage that. Then, okay. Like that's at least the start of a conversation. I don't think if you sign up for this, you're signing up for long-term failure or, or just failure in general. I think it's okay. Well, if you ask those questions, push, pull, right. Trade-offs, all of those things, if you can do that, 
well, then maybe you can, you're going to have some long nights. I mean, when I did it, I had some very, very long nights and I was super happy to get to do it because I was building products that I really, really liked, or at least the teams that I was on did. Um, so just take that in consideration. If you can do that, like, all right, well, I mean, you paid for one person when you should have paid for two. What did that benefit give? Shouldn't we all get like a great like party every like major release? Because that's a lot cheaper than paying for a person. So, you know, why don't you, why don't you give me that? Or maybe just, I had team members tell me once they said, just give me, just give me 50 bucks and let me go home early on a Friday. And instead of, instead of paying for two people or whatever. So, you know, leverage it for your team, whatever, you know? Well, maybe that's, maybe that's another thing too, though, is that you could find a way to quantify the impact of it. Like you're saving this much in the cost of an employee, but here's what it's doing to our throughput or quality or, you know, morale or whatever. And, and how does that translate into dollars? I mean, maybe you can offer the business like a responsible choice. But the business doesn't know what they're missing if they've never had to miss it before. If they just think like that standard operating procedure, they yeah. don't, they're like, why should I, why should I pay for you a big party? Damn that Frederick day? Taylor. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying they don't know any better. Like yeah. how can you ask them to give you, you know, you know what it's like to have three legs? Well, no, I've never had three legs. Well, I'm just telling you, if you <laughs> did, it'd be awesome. You could run like a third faster, you know, like, how am I supposed to but know all the that time means? you spend tying your shoes? Is it really worth it? I mean, you know, it's an extra leg to kick Mike Cadell with. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it. Hopefully that was helpful for folks that are listening. Um, so, so Mike, what's the best way to get in touch with you? If people want to reach out to you and follow up on some of the stuff. Um, <clears throat> join the, the agile uprising discord server. There's a lot of, a uh, lot, lot of good, helpful conversation, some entertaining conversation as well. Um, uh, notwithstanding that, uh, you can uh, usually find me uh, LinkedIn. Um, I avoid Twitter because it's just so depressing. I don't even want to bother with it. It's just LinkedIn or the Agile Uprising Discord server. All right. <laughs> cool. The one bright spot left in the internet. Um. <laughs> All right, Andrew, you want to go next? How do, where do they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn as well as the uh, any uh, any spots on the Agile Uprising um, spot. And I, I also am not a huge Twitter uh, individual, so you can reach me on Twitter at Lean Left as well. So, all right, and Chris, um, I instead of plugging myself, I'd really like to plug an organization that I'd love everybody to go check out. It's the Job Hackers. You can find them at thejobhackers.org. This is an organization that helps uh, people new to the agile uh, industry that are uh, that don't necessarily have the experience or the money to get some training in. So, um, so they are uh, they they do free trainings for folks that are either trying to get experience or trying to get some sort of knowledge but don't have the money to pay for um, for kind of a, a, the basic traditional training class, so to speak. Um, they need volunteers. They need mentors. They need this people to help. Yeah, they need people to help uh, refer them to internships, jobs, um, uh, whatever. But go to thejobhackers.org. You can um, find everything that you need. Um, I, uh, uh, we at the Agile Uprising have become uh, friends 
of theirs recently. I, I can't plug them enough. Um, go check them out. I will also plug them in my classes. Thank you for sharing that. But they could find you Absolutely. on Twitter, LinkedIn, and in Discord, right? Yep, yep. Just, you know, you know my name, whatever. Cool. I'll put all your guys' stuff in the show notes. Thank you very much for doing this, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Uh, and also, you should plug the podcast that you guys do, that The Uprising does. Uh, Agile Uprising. Find it on your favorite podcast feed service thing. Listen. <laughs> He's been practicing that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Guys, thank you very much. Have a great night. Thanks, 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 everyone. You too.